Well, good morning, church. I'm Lindsay Anderson Beck, the Interim Director for Youth Ministries here at SMCC. And I'm so glad to be with you in worship this morning. We are in our summer series on the book of Romans. The writer Paul is basically giving the believers in Rome a blueprint, a framework on which to construct their lives. And he's differentiating it from the other frameworks that they see around them. Things like the worship of other gods or the worship of earthly powers, or even the worship of rules and dogma. Maybe you remember Pastor Jessica's sermon from a few weeks ago when she talked about putting on God's lenses that we might be able to see the world rightly, see the world as God sees it. This is what Paul is inviting us to do in our passage today, very concretely. He's inviting us to reframe our suffering. Now, I have this vivid memory from when I was pretty young, sitting on the piano bench in my house in London with my older sister. I think she was giving me a piano lesson, and I was just swinging my legs back and forth. And at one point, I think I must have swung them a little too vigorously because my foot rammed in to the hard wooden leg of the piano. As you can imagine, I screamed out in pain and I grabbed my foot But it wasn't until I looked down and saw the blood on my toe that I really started screaming and crying in earnest. I remember my older sister grabbing me and hugging me and saying, don't look at it, it makes it worse. And I thought about that for a second and then I was like, "Mm, no, I'm gonna keep screaming and crying because everyone in this house needs to know that I am suffering. Parents, maybe you can resonate with this. None of us are strangers to suffering. You can't make it through life without experiencing pain or loss or trials, doubt, fear. Many of us feel this acutely right now. We are in the midst of a global pandemic and the infection rates in LA are continuing to climb at an alarming speed. We're learning of more people in our networks infected We're seeing friends dealing with ongoing repercussions as a result of the disease. We're even hearing of people losing loved ones. We're suffering simultaneously as our patience with social distancing wears thin and as we run out of ideas of how to entertain our kids. And as a nation, our isolation is bleeding into our mental and emotional health as we struggle with depression, with loneliness, anxiety, with fears for our safety and the safety of those we love, with fears about job loss or the company staying afloat. And all of this, not to mention the economic downturn, the ongoing reality of racial injustice in our country, concerns over climate change, our divided political landscape. Whew, that's a lot. I feel heavy just naming those things. Now, as humans, we have a multitude of reactions to this kind of heaviness, this kind of suffering. Most of them are defense mechanisms, which is natural. Humans have a need to survive, and so we avoid pain. We do this through blame, anger, self-pity, denial, hatred. 
one reaction to the COVID crisis that I've seen in myself and in those around me is to try and find something, anything to pin our hopes on and grab a hold of. For me, it was the hope of my 30th birthday. When everything locked down in March, I thought for sure we'll be out of this and done by the end of June and I'll be able to go to a nice restaurant with my friends or maybe go have a beach day and celebrate my birthday. Now, obviously that day has come and gone. Maybe for you, it was a family trip this summer. Maybe it was a long awaited trip to Europe that you had planned for months. Fill in the blank. What are we doing there? I think that's an escape, right? We're looking for a, a way out, attempting to deal with the discomfort of the present by pinning our hopes on the dream world of the future. And unfortunately, as that future becomes our present, most of those dreams are getting knocked down and we are becoming more and more disillusioned. Will we ever be able to hug our friends again? Will we ever be able to just pop into the grocery store for one item? Will we ever be back in this space for worship together, singing loudly without masks and maybe even joining hands as we receive the benediction? It's tempting to avoid the scary unknown that these questions highlight. Does our faith offer us a better way of dealing with our suffering than wallowing, escaping, becoming angry or denying? The Christian contemplative father, Richard Rohr, says that healthy religion shows us what to do with suffering. For if we cannot transform our pain, then we will most assuredly transmit it. I believe our scripture passage this morning offers us a different way, a way to transform our pain. Let's turn to Romans chapter five, verses one to eight. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, would you pray with me? Our loving God, as we come to your scriptures this morning, we come in a variety of states. Some of us feeling acutely our own suffering. Some of us feeling the suffering of the world around us. Some of us seeking for ways to support those we love who are suffering. Would you open our ears, open 
our minds open, our hearts to receive your words to us this morning. Would you comfort us by your scripture? Remind us that you are the God who does not leave us in our suffering. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Notice that as our passage opens, Paul is happily checking off the amazing results of being justified or being made right with God. In verse one, he says, since we have been made right with God, we have peace with God. That's the first benefit, peace. Where our sinfulness and our self-centeredness once separated us from our loving creator, now we are friends again. Secondly, he says that we are standing in grace, meaning we are living in God's presence and we have access to God. This is the idea of having been brought into the palace of a king or a queen and invited to live there. The third benefit of our new relationship with God, he says, is that we can rejoice or we can boast in our hope of the glory of God. Paul is saying that there's something beautiful and glorious about God being revealed in this earth right now that we just see glimmers of, but that will one day be fully revealed. We celebrate the present glimpses of God's peaceful and just kingdom. And we also look forward to the coming fulfillment where all that is broken will be restored. These are some pretty amazing benefits, right? Consequences of our reconciliation with God, peace and grace and glory. We could spend days just on those topics. But it's what Paul says next that really captures my attention. He says, and not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings. Cue the tires screeching to a halt sound, what? Paul, kill joy. But Paul loves to go there. In fact, he goes there repeatedly in the New Testament, which makes sense because Paul suffered a lot in his lifetime. And for Paul, suffering is part and parcel of what it means to be a Christian. This is something that we Christians in the West often get wrong. We can be tricked into thinking that when we follow Jesus, we are granted a free pass from sufferings and trials. I'll be the first to admit that I'm the one who gets cut off in traffic on the highway or burns herself on the oven and is immediately like, God, why do you hate me? You see what's wrong with that? I'm assuming that if God loved me, he would protect me from discomfort and pain. But you see, God never promises us ease or comfort as a result of following Jesus. In fact, quite the opposite. We are to expect suffering. In the gospel of John, Jesus promises his disciples that in this world, you will have trouble. We follow the way of a savior who was persecuted, rejected in his hometown by his own people, betrayed and then brutally murdered on a cross. Maybe suffering is actually a sign that we are on the right path. In our scripture today, Paul encourages us to stay in suffering, 
not to enjoy it or to look for it or to paste a fake smile on our faces and pretend that everything's okay and nothing's really affecting us, but to lean in to our suffering. And we do so in his words, knowing that it will produce something of value. He writes, we also boast in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Other translations say suffering produces perseverance or patience. Now, I'm still a fairly newlywed as of two years, dealing with the growing pains of living with and learning to love another human who is not me. For Will and I, one of the ways that we can mark our growth is in our endurance. We are both able to sit longer in the discomfort, the pain, the suffering of not being on the same page. Where two years ago, I might have compulsively fled to another room of our apartment during a difficult conversation. Now I can stay in it. Notice without the trials of newlywed conflict and without our choosing to lean in, to talk about it, to seek mentorship, to seek counseling, we would not have grown in our ability to endure, to sit in discomfort with each other. And our conflict has pushed us to grow in the knowledge and love of ourselves and of one another. Somehow in God's reality, suffering can be a road to growth and transformation. This is Paul's encouragement to us. Suffering invites us and teaches us to endure for our growth. And as we respond to that invitation, our scripture tells us that endurance produces character. Character is the quality of having been tested and passed the test. What happens to those who endure suffering and allow it to develop deep character within them instead of bitterness and hardness of heart? Have you met people like that? When you're in the ordination process for the PCUSA, as I am, you are required to do a unit of clinical pastoral education, which essentially means working as a chaplain in a local hospital. I loved my chaplaincy experience and consistently felt so humbled to be invited into the lives and stories of people in pain. I was humbled by their openness to me, their honesty about their questions, their fears, their doubts, their longings, their hopes. I remember one visit with an older man in particular. Um, he was sitting in his room with his wife and he had a degenerative condition, which meant that any slight infection or germs could kill him. He had come into the hospital that morning with a slight fever. And as I visited with them for a while, I marveled over their candor about his condition their openness with me and the joy and ease in their relationship. As I was leaving, he asked if I would pray some Catholic prayers with him. I said I didn't know any, but I could find a prayer book. And so later I returned with a Catholic prayer book. He was alone and we prayed together. And by the end of our prayer time, he had tears in his eyes. 
He was so moved and so grateful for the chance of connecting with God. He told me in that moment, as I asked him what was going on for him, that he was ready to go. He was ready to be with God. He was ready for the pain, the suffering to be over. He didn't want his wife to have to worry about him anymore. And that above all, he was excited to meet his savior, Jesus. What struck me was how peaceful he was, as he told me this, full of trust and hope that he would be united with Jesus at his death. Those who lean into their sufferings, as this man did, become humble, aware of their own limitations, open to learning and receiving. They become soft-hearted, people of compassion for the sufferings of others and the brokenness of the world around them. They become others-oriented. They become people of peace, freed from some of their attachments to things of this world, less tossed around by the worries of tomorrow. I don't know about you, but that's the type of person I want to become. One whose pain has become a pathway to transformation, a person of patience and trust and hope. And that's where Paul goes next in our passage to hope. He says, character produces a hope that does not disappoint, a hope that will not let us down. Hope is fundamental for human flourishing. Maybe you are familiar with Viktor Frankl. He's an, he was an Austrian neurologist and psychiatrist and also a Holocaust survivor. Frankl spent time in multiple concentration camps where his wife, his father, his mother, and his brother all perished. Upon his return to Vienna, he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning about his experience living in Nazi concentration camps and how the horrifying experiences of daily life affected the mental condition of those imprisoned. Frankel determined that the main difference between those who found the strength to endure the concentration camps and those who did not was hope. Hope. In the midst of that acute suffering, those with a hope for the future, a sense of meaning and purpose were able to survive. Now, while we likely will never have to endure anything as harrowing or traumatizing as the concentration camps of Nazi Germany, the same theme is true for us. To endure suffering, we need a hope to cling to. A hope that is bigger than that wishful thinking or escapism or that vacation to Europe. What is that hope that Paul says we have? For us as Christians, it is multifaceted and securely rooted in the person of Jesus. For one, it is a hope in the ever-present unrelenting love of Jesus who is with us. In Romans chapter eight, Paul writes that even though now we cry and groan with all of creation, God is not distant from our suffering. 
He writes, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Friends, where suffering tries to separate us from others, from ourself, from God, telling us we are alone in our pain, the truth is nothing can separate us from the love of God. In fact, suffering is often a way that we are drawn closer to that love of God. In suffering, we are stripped of our own facade of independence and self-sufficiency. In this space, we are vulnerable and we're invited to lean into the strong, sure arms of our loving Savior to test and find out whether God's love truly is enough for us. The Holy Spirit, our scripture says, pours out this love into our hearts. Paul literally is saying that the Holy Spirit offers us an experiential, visceral sense of God's love, one that is more than intellectual and theoretical. I wonder what would happen if next time you were feeling alone or fearful in your pain, you asked the Spirit to reassure you of God's loving presence with you. In suffering, we are invited to learn in a tangible, experiential way that Jesus patiently and kindly endures with us in the present and therefore can be relied upon for the future. This is that hope that will not let us down that Paul talks about because it's not based on us or our circumstances. It's based on the fixed character, the steadfast love of God. Our Christian hope is also a hope that this loving God is a God of redemption. That the very God who proved his love for us by dying for us, though we were still weak, though we were still sinners, though we were set against him, That's the God who also resurrects. This is the God who Romans 4.17 says, gives life to the dead and calls things that don't exist into existence. Who gives life to the dead and calls things that don't exist into existence. We worship and follow a God who is in the business of transforming pain of bringing life from death. This is a story we see throughout the scriptures and one I would venture to guess you've caught glimpses of in your lifetime. Maybe you remember the story of Joseph, the dreamer with his technicolor dream coat and his brothers who were so jealous of him that they tried to kill him. When his brothers come to him in need, He says to them, even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good 
in order to save the lives of many people as he is doing today. Friends, our God is a God who transforms, who redeems, who renews. Paul believes that suffering is a potential path to our transformation because he saw it happening in Jesus. For surely if God was redeeming the world at the pinnacle of suffering, when Jesus, God's own son, was dying on a cross, then God never wastes pain. I wonder where you are in relation to suffering right now. Maybe you're in it acutely, feeling hopeless or alone. I wonder, could you invite Jesus, our God who suffers, into your pain? Allow him to sit compassionately and kindly with you to help you endure, to give you hope. Could you invite another person in? Someone whose presence could reassure you that you are not alone, could give you the courage to endure. Could being at the end of yourself move you into the arms of our God who will not let you go? Perhaps you find yourself with extra capacity right now. You're not really suffering acutely. I wonder, could you support those who are suffering around you? Not with platitudes or empty words, but simply by being the evidence of the compassionate, loyal presence of our God to another person in pain. Maybe it's a simple phone call or a card or an offer of prayer or groceries. How is God inviting you to be a part of his redemptive work? Perhaps in these tender places, we will find again the hope that our loving God has invited us into a story of redemption. May we hang on in the hope that the same Lord who brought Jesus back from the dead will do the same for us. May we take heart knowing that suffering and death do not get the last word. For we worship a God who is even now transforming our pain and ourselves in the midst of it. Amen.